I realized this morning that I had left, I, I set aside two classes to do, two hours to do the, uh, the anions, and we finished those with the last class. So what I decided to do this morning is to take a little interlude, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, soil tests. I'm going to share with some books with you this morning and, and just explain a little bit about them, but we're going to look at soil tests and why they're important and what the, the things you should expect from a soil test. Uh, but I want to I want to do something first. I put this Bible verse up here. Most of you are familiar with it. But seek ye first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I said something different to you that represents this exact same thing. What do you think it was? Feed the soil. Feed the soil and let the soil feed the crop. I'll elaborate on that. In just a second, but um, let me get my thing going here. That's a lot easier. This other one, no, I forgot to put the reference in it. It's, it's Philippians 2:21. My apologies. For all seek their own, and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. I'm going to illustrate it. I'm going to illustrate it a little bit with Canada thistle, and the conundrum of Canada thistle. When I say that you need to feed the soil and let the soil feed the crop, too often we live our lives and we focus on the plane of effects, the things that are happening to us. You understand what I'm saying by that? You can't do anything about, anything about the things that have already happened to you, can you? You can only do something about the things that are going to happen, right? And so where we need to focus is we need to focus where the cause is. The cause is in the soil. The parable of the sower points that out. And when that verse says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, what it's saying is, and everything else will be added, address the cause. Address the cause, and then you correct the cause, the effects will take care of themselves. Now, one of the things we have to realize is we live in a world where we're not the only ones contributing to the effects. And so, as Christians, it's really important for us to understand the, the, the things that impact our lives. We're going to talk about this when we get to the environmental influences class. But the things that impact our lives we don't have complete control over, do we? What do we have control over? Ourselves. And you're going to see when we talk about that, you can't, that, that the way to overcome those environmental influences, the one, to separate yourselves from them to the extent that you can. Now, that, when, when God says to separate, he doesn't say isolate. Separation is not just a thing that's of distance and a physical level. It's separation in your mind and in your heart from the, the things of the world. But the soil will buffer the, the impacts of the environment. And that's, that's why you feed the soil first. You deal with the character. What that's saying is you deal with the character first. Correct the character, and the character will buffer and determine and control a lot of those impacts that you can't control. And what I mean by that is, in, in gardening terms, can you stop the wind from blowing weed seeds into your garden? I haven't been able to. Can you stop insects from finding your garden? Can you find pollutants? Can you stop pollutants from impacting your garden? Now, the ones that you might overtly put on yourself, you can obviously have some control over, but what about the ones that fall with the rain and blow in with the wind? One of the things, I think there was going to be a class on how, I think uh, Brad Johnson's doing on how to choose 
if you look at land, maybe it's not Brad's going to do it, look at land and, and, and what the, the factors are you should take into consideration. Well, one of them would be you might not want to be downwind from an industrial plant that's producing some kind of pollutant. There was a, there's a um, cement, was it a cement factory or glass factory out in Colorado when we lived out there? And downwind from it, everything was dead up close to it because the manganese levels were so high coming out of that process. And so, you know, the, the reality is that there is no such thing as clean soil anymore. There can only be clean hearts. <laughs> yes, sir. In that particular case, but the, yeah, but there there can be all kinds of things coming from upwind to you, and you, you want to try to uh, separate yourself from that. This is a good illustration of separating yourself. You don't want to get be downwind, or if your water supply is coming down from where they're dumping tons of tons of toxins and everything into the water, that may be a problem for you. So you want to avoid as much as possible. This is what we normally do here. We all seek our own, and not the things which are Christ Jesus, and. Then we, we try to deal with the effects by fighting the effects. Symptoms is another term that you would put on it. We, we try to fight the symptoms and, and treat the symptoms rather than going to the cause of the problem and eliminating it. I'm going I'm to give you an illustration with Canada thistle. And we'll talk more about these things when we go to the diseases and insects and weeds and what causes them. Things grow where they grow, including in our own lives, because of the conditions that exist there. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So if you don't go and address the conditions and find out what the conditions are that are causing the, the, the results that you're getting, the effects that you're getting, you're going to get the same thing over and over. A state that I used to live in declared that they were going to eliminate, they were going to eradicate Canada thistle. Have any of you ever had problems with Canada thistle? Canada, you know why Canada thistle grows? It's able, to, it's able to mine calcium when other plants can't. And so they typically grow, and, and they can get through tight soils, and so they typically grow in a low calcium, high potassium, high magnesium environment. You change the conditions, and guess what happens? Let me give you an illustration. The state I used to live in, which I won't mention, um, declared that they were going to eradicate Canada thistle from the state. And they initiated a campaign, and it was mandatory for everybody to spray herbicides to kill the Canada thistle. And the Canada thistle died, and they declared victory until springtime. <laughs> what do you think happened in the spring? The Canada thistle all came back. Why do you think the Canada thistle all came back? Well, that, that's partly it, but that, it, was it was coming back from the very same plants that they had sprayed and killed. They hadn't got to the root of the problem. I'll give you another illustration on this. There were two big ranches. This is another one from Australia. There's a whole bunch of them, but I, like, I try to pick the ones I really, I really think illustrate it really well. They both had big problems with Canada thistle because we had big problems with Canada thistle out in Colorado. And once we changed the conditions, guess what happened? There were two big ranches. They were several thousand acre ranches in Australia, side by side, the only thing that divided them was a fence line. And one of those, one of those ranchers decided that he had such a big problem with it and he learned about complete and balanced fertility and he decided that he was going to correct his soil. He was going to address the cause of the problem. 
And so he did that, and after, after several years, the candidate thistle went away. This is what happens, folks, when you change the conditions. The things that are happening there are happening there for very specific reasons. And when you change the conditions, those things won't, won't be ex exhibiting themselves again, anymore. Now, the, the other rancher on the other, other side of the fence had the same problem, but he didn't do that. And he kept trying to kill him with herbicides. And the part of that one I want to point out, he never did learn the lesson of this other rancher who was right across the fence. And I want to point out to you, like I said before, all it was dividing him was a fence. The Canada thistle seed could blow prolifically from that other ranch, and yet it never expressed itself after, that, after those conditions were changed. Now, this other rancher, the story is, is a good illustration to the, the lengths we go to to try to fight symptoms. There was a particular Canada thistle that was right up by his house. And he had his hired people cut it down. It came back. They cut it down again. It came back again. They dug it up. They dug it down a couple feet and took, out, took it out. It came back again. They dug down, so it was three or four feet, if I remember right, three or four feet, took it out, it came back again. Finally dug it out again, poured kerosene in the hole, put a can over the top of it, and guess what happened? It came back. It came back. If you, things grow where the conditions are favorable for them to grow. If you want righteousness to grow in your life, you better put the conditions in place, and that's the mind of Christ, and the will of God, and when you put those things in place, good things, you, the fruit that's born there will be, will be good. And a lot of the problems, see, we fight the problem too much. We fight the sin, the transgression too much, and we don't address the cause of it and change that cause. So in, the terms, of, in terms of Canada Thistle here, you can see this other man, he just changed the conditions, and it went away. Now, I, I know a lot of people have a hard time believing that, and I'm going to tell you even more things when we get to the insect and disease and, and weed class that you're going to have a hard time believing, but I've seen it with my own eyes, and I've experienced it with my own, with my own experience. Um, yeah. It seems to me that the, the problem we're talking about, the condition of the soil, right? That's the heart, right? And so to change the condition of my heart, needs to change it from being selfish to unselfish. And when my heart become, becomes to operate in the sphere of unselfishness, then the opportunities that present themselves is no longer I'm a, I need to witness, I become a witness because I'm a witness of my heart. Exactly. That's what I said when I, when I shared that we, you witness and you're going out, no. not go out to witness. There's, you can't help but witness. And in reality, we witness every time we go out. That's right. It's a matter of what you're witnessing to. Are you pouring weeds into people's, into people's lives? Are you, are you bringing disease and pests and, and everything to them? And the, and the fruit that you're sharing with them? Because you're just, if, if you've got those problems and you're having to use all kinds of interventions to, to deal with those problems, when you pass it on to them, they're going to have to do the same. They're going to have the deficiencies and the, the shortcomings of it all, and, and it's going to inflict the same thing on them that, that you were dealing with yourself. But if you give them complete and balanced fertility and the fruit that comes from that, when they consume that fruit, remember I shared, I had uh, one, one customer, a doctor, very wealthy doctor, 
drove a Mercedes, wore $500 pairs of shoes and $1,000 suits, and came out and asked if he could just walk barefoot in our dirt. But he, th- he would drive two and a half hours, two and a half hours, one way, to get the produce. And, you know, I'm happy to have the business, but I you know, feel bad somebody's got to put that kind of effort out to, to, uh, to get the produce and everything. And I said to him, I said, There's just, you can't get anything any closer. I feel bad you having to drive all the way out. He'd bring his lawn chair out and says, can I just hang out here? This is such a, a healthy environment. Can I just sit here and hang out? He'd, it was a Walmart lawn chair. He drives a you know, Mercedes, but he'd bring one. Um, but what he said is, is, should be enlightening to you. He said, I don't know what you do different than everybody else, but when we eat your food, we feel better. We sleep better. We wake up in the morning optimistic, looking forward to the day. We get along better with each other. We're more hopeful. You know, all of these positive qualities. Now, we think that we have to evangelize by sharing a track with somebody. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying... Adam, the garden was Adam's education, it was Adam's occupation, it was his sustenance, and it was his purpose. And it doesn't matter which one of those, whether it's from physical nourishment, that, that, that message this morning, while it ended on a hopeful note, was so depressing to think that society, that humanity has gotten to the place that it's gotten to. And I see it all around me. I see it in young people all around me. They just, no ambition, no motivation, all the, the, the it's no purpose. They, the, 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 having a purpose to just be passionate about or pursue. Um, it, and it's sad, but those are the kind of effects that, that a changed cause has on other people. And so it doesn't matter how many, there are, how many people you think are out there that wouldn't set foot in the church today because of the cynicism and the bad experiences and the hypocrisy, and you could go on down the list and list a million things, they're just not going to enter a church. But they'll go to a market, farmer's market. And if you can do that to them, as that man shared with me, if you can do that to somebody, you know what else happens? He just wanted to hang out out there. He just wanted to be around that atmosphere. He wanted to figure out what happens is people say, wow, if you can do that to my life with food. What else do you know that you might want to share with me? And guess what? They're ready to listen to they're ready to listen to spiritual realities. And and uh, I could share. Yeah, go ahead. So the most important thing, because I work with different institutions and we would have country stores and things like that, right? And or whether it's a, a lifestyle center, because I also work at Wildwood. Right? Mm-hmm, right. And it is the atmosphere of the place that is the ministering component, right? And the atmosphere of the place is the people that are in the place, right? Right. So I would have people come to the country store in town. I would buy my produce from the regular uh, suppliers, not even the market, but the regular suppliers that supply all the other, you know, the, the, the vendors that supply the other uh, stores. But the people would come to, into my place and say, this is the best produce, right? And it wasn't because it was the best produce, it was because it had the atmosphere. You had the best atmosphere. And also the blessing of God, which is another whole component, right? right? right. And you can take an inanimate uh, thing and infuse it with his spirit, right? And, and that spirit gets carried. Somehow it's miraculous, but somehow it, it works. Well, can you imagine 
one of my burdens is I would I love to see one of our academic institutions or one of our health institutions have a, a, a competent, functional farm producing food. When the food service truck backs up to that door, you just lost your greatest advantage. And, and I, would, I, I just I have a burden to see that that happens. Our, our young people that are going to those schools are suffering as a consequence of, of malnourishment. How can they have, unless you're actually producing better nourishment, if you're just getting it out of the, from somebody else, you're just getting whatever they're giving you. Would we, and, and I ask the question, would you do that with your spiritual nourishment? Would we? Would you? Whatever anybody wanted to give you? Yeah, many are doing that. They're resorting to that. But we, would, we wouldn't just take whatever anybody wanted to feed us, you know, spiritually. And so um, we just kind of, we kind of get confused when we get into this area. And, and uh, there's some reasoning why I think we do, but uh, that'd take a whole class just to get into that. So we, but anyway, changing the conditions is, is the objective here, not... And so the other term I put it on is fostering life. Because what did Jesus say? I came so that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. So my approach is to foster life, not to fight off death. And people spend their, spend their time and their energy fighting off death. With all the interventions, they're just trying to put off the inevitable, to buy themselves some time, buy themselves some time, buy themselves some time. But if you never change the conditions and actually start receiving nourishment, you know, the time-buying interventions will eventually take care of you. So, um, so I just want to, I want to emphasize why I'm saying feed the soil and let the soil feed the crop. Because you don't want to look at the effects. You're not going to get anywhere wrestling with the effects. Um, and that's why we're not getting anywhere in this area. Lots of people ask me, how come we can't, how come we can't get a farm operation up that's going and profitable and everything? The wrong model. It's the wrong model. And unfortunately, you can have very sincere people. And if they embrace the wrong model, the model always has its way. It doesn't care how sincere you are. And so, you know, when I say that, and, and I say we're struggling with these different issues and everything, I'm not condemning the people that are involved in it, because sometimes people just don't realize they're trying to employ a model that is not conducive with righteousness. It's not conducive with holiness. It's conducive with dysfunction and deformity. And you're going to get what's put in. And you can try to put, you know, push it with sincerity, push it with sincerity, push it with good, good intentions and everything like that. And uh, what is, what's said about good intentions? I won't finish it. But the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So... Um, and that's what, that's what God is trying to wake us up to. That you can't do anything without me. And what he's saying by that is, he's not saying that, you know, I'm going to do it for you. He said, it is my righteousness. When I say that, it's my truth. It's my character. It's the laws that are patterned after that character that will provide life, that will be conducive to healing and restoration. It's not some, I'm a very pragmatic, practical person, and I don't like abstracts very well and, and all this stuff. I need to know, okay, what does that really mean when the rubber hits the road? You know, how, what does that actually look like when you've got to do something, do something with it? Um, so what I want to do is I want to, I want to look at soil tests now. 
And I want to give you, and I don't have any slides up. I have, I'm going to, we're going to, to pull it, a, um, one of these up, the actual one, and see if we can't see it a little bit better. And I picked one that uh, I don't think he'll mind that I'm using it. This actually is blueberries. And I'm going to go through, I'm going to show you how a lot of times uh, we get advice from people that are supposed to know what's what. And that advice is, is not accurate. Because what they consider to be true is based on flawed information itself. And so they, they don't necessarily come, or they haven't seen they haven't seen the alternatives to it, or they choose not to see the alternatives to it because of pressures uh, from their job or their, where their support comes from. You know, you know like, yeah, all of that. We all deal with those things in, in life. But it's a, it's a uh, first I want to say on the soil test, there's some things you should expect from a soil test. Because I invariably have people, uh, they'll, they'll do the soil test Baya, Kinsey Ag, and Perry Labs, which uh, I'm going to put a, my worksheet up here, and then you can get my contact information off of that, and you can get Kinsey Ag's off work information off of that. Um, but they invariably, it's about $50 to have a soil recommendation analysis done and a recommendation given to you. And a recommendation, well, first off, a soil analysis is only as good as a sample that was sent to them. And so I always recommend to people, be sure that you pull a good sample. If it's not representative of the conditions, then the information you're going to get is not going to be helpful. And for example, if you go out there with a rusty shovel to dig the soil, what do you think it's going to throw off in the test? Iron. You're going to have really high iron levels. If you put it in a bag with glue, the glue that's made with boron in it, what do you think it might throw off? So there's several hazards to actually getting a good sample to start with. So you want to be, and, it, and how that relates to us is we need to be honest with, with the assessment that we're, we're, when we, we're measuring ourselves against the Christ as our model, are we being honest, are we skewing it with, with things like that. Um, but that's the first thing, is the sample has to be properly taken. So, because it's only as good as the, the sample it's sent to them. What you should expect from whatever lab you do, and I know some labs are free. Yours, you said yours was free, right? Some labs are free. Some labs are, are $25. They'll get it back to you fast. Um, but for an illustration, I want to use this, because this was a very, there's a couple things I want to, want to illustrate out of the, 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 the sample that he has. And I don't want to pick on it. It doesn't matter um, who, who he got it from. Um, what matters is the information that was given to you. You should expect them to give you an, an analysis that's going to tell you what that soil character is, what the characters, characteristics of that soil is. So in other words, you should know what the cation exchange capacity is. It should be an accurate cation exchange capacity. Okay? When I put TEC, total exchange capacity, up there, you have to measure all four of the major cations to calculate the, the cation exchange capacity. And remember, I said that's just how big your bucket is. Just remember, it's how big the bucket is you have to fill the capacity of that soil. And so if they don't measure all four of those to, me to, to calculate out the, the CEC, the, the, the bucket size they tell you is going to be wrong. And so when, they go, when you go to try to figure out 
calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium. Hydrogen is a cation. It's not a ma the major cation. It's not an alkaline-forming cation. That's pretty sharp, boy. <laughs> yeah. Let's assume they use three. Is there any way that you can interpret interpolate the four from some of the Responses on that test? No, because usually if they don't, the one they usually leave out is sodium, because they don't think it's relative. Okay. As a fertility element, they don't think it's relative. It actually is, but it, it is relative to know how big the bucket is. So they usually leave sodium out, but when they leave it out, they also don't measure it. If you had a measure of the actual quantity, you, there is a way of calculating it out, and then you'd have to go back. And I'll show you which one of the books. You can actually learn how to do these calculations. There's some, there's some flaws in the book I'm going to tell you about, but I'll talk about that when I, when I do that. Um, because they don't give you the number either, they don't measure how much sodium is actually there. They, they, and uh, a lot of times they'll put on, like on his soil test, they put on an estimated CEC. They just estimate it. So that, what that tells you is they didn't necessarily calculate it out. They didn't necessarily, um, they, they'll, 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 sometimes they'll put that on there because they didn't do sodium. And so they'll just say it's an estimated CEC because they know that that is not an accurate CEC. And so you have to have all four of those to get an accurate measure of the bucket size. You don't have an accurate measure, you don't, you're never going to hit your target because your bucket's the wrong size is wrong. So you're, gonna, you're usually going to overshoot it with other, some things and undershoot it with other things as a consequence of that. You, Mm -hmm. I have to admit, I don't understand that. Um, when you say accurate bucket size and you're measuring all four of these cations, is that what percentage they are in each other is what your bucket size is? Or how do you know what your bucket that, size is? How do you, you know what your bucket size, the cation exchange capacity, is basically telling you how many charge sites you have in the soil. And I'm just correlating that to or using an additional illustration of what size bucket you need to fill with those materials. But it's really just telling you how many charge sites, colloidal charge sites, you have in the soil. And you can't get an accurate measure of that if you don't measure all four of the major cations. Um, so the bucket size, I'm just saying, this bucket might have, I'll just use relative numbers, 100 charge sites. This, this soil might have 100 charge sites. This soil might have 1,000. So, so can you see it had to take more to fill 1,000 sites than it would to, to fill 100? But how would you know whether you had 100 or 1,000? By the cation exchange capacity number. They'll give you a number. Um, what yours was like 26 point something. So they'll give you a number and it's going to range, yeah 26.1, it's going to range anywhere from as low as one, which is a person who's about died, <laughs> to it can go all the way up. The typical ranges are, are from the eights, seven eights, up into the twenties. You can, there are soils that go all the way up into a hundred. Um, if you have a soil like that, the, the, the challenge with a high CEC soil, the benefit, let me just say the benefit first of a high CEC soil is once it's balanced, it lasts for a long. The guys that live out in Iowa, they think they're the kings of farmers. But the only reason they're doing as good as they're doing is because that soil has buffered them for so many years, it's not funny. Because of the high level of fertility that was there. And uh, so you have a high CEC like that and you get it balanced out, you, can, you can't do anything wrong. 
but I wouldn't take credit for it if you're not doing the right things. Uh, the, uh, the problem with it is, it, it might be, if it's out of balance, it might be very expensive to straighten it out. And I'll, I'll illustrate why that is. In a higher, let's just take a, I don't know what the number would wind up being, but in a 30 CEC soil, you might be required to have 15,000 pounds of calcium, uh, a couple thousand pounds of, of potassium. Say you're deficient, you need to be at 7% potassium, for example. Is this per acre? Per, per, yeah, per acre. Say you have 7,000, you need 7,000 pounds, you're only at 2%, that's going to be down, you're going to be down around 500 pounds. If you have to add 1,500 pounds of, of potassium via potassium sulfate, potassium sulfate's running close to $1,000 a ton. So you can see how it might be expensive to, and there may be other obstacles, like if your calcium's really high, your pH is over 6.5, you're not going to be able to build it, and so it gets more complicated and can possibly get more expensive too. But everything is just more. It's just more of everything. You've got that bigger bucket. And so if it's, uh, if it's filled up, then you're doing really good. Of course, it might be filled up with the wrong proportion of stuff. What you were asking about before is base saturation. In other words, what percentage of that bucket is, each of, is, is taken up by that bucket? That's what the base saturation measures, is what percentage of the bucket is filled with, with each of those things. So that's the downside. The, the, the upside to a lower CEC is it doesn't take as much to correct it, but it doesn't hold, it doesn't last as long. And so you're managing it more often um, than the person that has a higher CEC. Somewhere in the middle, uh, I've been asked, what's the ideal C CEC? Well, you have the, C this is one of those things, you have the CEC, you have, there are ways of, of, there are ways of increasing the CEC, but it's not, they're not dramatic increases. So it, um, you kind of have the level, the size bucket or the, the CEC that you have, so you have to work with that. But I've been asked, well, what's the ideal CEC? I said, well, if you could have something that's in the 12, 12 to 15 range, something there, so it's, it's a big enough bucket that it's going to hold an adequate amount of material, uh, but it's not so big that it's going to take a ton of resources to try to get it straightened out. So, but after saying that, you have what you have. I know growers with a CEC of 100. And, and uh, they're going to be working a long time to get it straightened out. The biggest challenges you have with those soils, those high CEC soils, is they tend to have imbalances in them. And so getting the imbalance, you, you always address, so I don't, if I don't mention it any other time, you always address the deficiencies first. And then once, if the deficiencies, you know, correcting the deficiencies don't correct the, the imbalance and the excess, then, then you start addressing the, you can do it both at the same time, but if you have to prioritize what you're going to do, then you, do, you always do the deficiencies first and bring them up. One element that I said we, we talked about yesterday is sulfur. Sulfur makes such a dramatic change, if any one element does. Calcium and magnesium, too, getting that straightened out and getting the, the, that soil's ability to breathe. We were talking about this last, last night. Uh, on the Ellen White method of tree planting, when they put the... They, uh, they used to use a clay tile in the bottom of the hole, but they put a, a corrugated, you know, plastic corrugated pipe with the rocks on either end. And what that's designed to do is create a lung effect. And gravitate, gravity, actually, that soil actually breathes in and out. Water actually moves up and down. That's what you want, good capillarity and, and good porosity. And so that, that allows the, the soil to breathe. So the air comes up, and fresh air goes in, and the air comes up, and fresh air goes in. 
And so you, you keep replenishing a, a, a more effectively a fresh supply of, of um, fresh air in the, in the soil, and things grow a whole lot better with that. And if any, you've seen any of Lynn Hoag's pictures of the difference between how one tree grows compared to another in those kind of conditions, it's dramatic. So the, the, the tile goes all the way to the surface? Because I've nope, seen this system nope. before. No, it goes sideways in the bottom. And then the way, the way you create the conditions in that, it's enough porosity there, so and if you're going to get that established, then it'll kind of maintain itself. We didn't, uh, I should point out, we didn't really get into tillage as much as I'd planned on getting into tillage, but I was worried that I was going to not make it through in those two hours. But when you're, when you're tilling, tilling is just trying to open the soil up so it can breathe. That's what you do tillage for. Now, you do it too because you're working residues in or whatever to get it and get a good seed bed. But you need to ask yourself the question why you're doing the tillage. What is your objective? You're not going out just to exercise your BCS or your, your tractor. It doesn't need exercise. Um, you need to have a very specific reason for why you're doing it. People ask me about the Spirit of Prophecy quote about plowing often and plowing deep. The assumptions are always made based on our, our familiarity or, or what we're accustomed to or used to thinking. And so everybody also all automatically assumes that that has to be done with iron, that you have to have a plow or a tiller or something to do that. You can do it with alfalfa roots. You can do it with tillage radish. Um, tiller radish, and there's, there's several ways that you can actually work the soil deep. And once you get good porosity in the soil, then you let the roots do all the working and the microbes do it. And once you get those, those pathways in the soil where air and water can move, you don't want to damage them. And so you may only work the ground the top few inches to incorporate fertility elements or to prepare a seedbed and you leave the rest of it alone because you've got it in a good condition. If you don't and you need to, you need to work it, you need to work it. Jean-Martin Fortier, some of you may have heard about his, his farm up in Quebec, Canada. One of the things he said, I went to a presentation, he said, when you start out, you've got to till, till, till. Work that ground until you get it where it needs it. Now, it's, it's, that's disturbance, and you're doing, some you're doing some damage doing that. Okay. We don't like our hearts plowed. <laughs> it's painful. But in order to get where you need to be, you may have to do that. But once you arrive there, there are better methods to maintain that structure and then uh, constantly disturbing it. Now, there's other, if you want to work it deeper, there are tools that are more effective at doing that where you don't completely disturb the whole profile. Uh, like the key line plow, the Yeoman's key line plow out of Australia. It's a very well-engineered piece of equipment because what it does is it goes down into the ground. It doesn't rip it and tear it all up. It just lifts and drops. It's, it's a subsoiler, but it's not like the subsoilers. Most of the subsoilers are, are kind of brutish. They just rip their way through the soil. This, this is designed to just lift and drop, and what it does is it fractures the soil so that moisture can get in there and the freezing and the thawing and microbes and roots can get through it, and they open it up without flipping all your layers of soil and, and doing a lot of damage to it. And, you, and you, can, you can avoid doing a lot of damage to that mid-zone of your soil if you want to get a deeper working with that type of, type of equipment. The other, another tool you can use is a broad fork. It's really good for you. Great exercise. It'll save you a gym, gym fee. Uh, working a broad fork, you can work deeper. I actually had a broad fork made for me that goes down 15 inches. Uh, 
Don't try that until you've got it actually worked down about 10 or 12 inches. Because, huh? No, I had a local guy, a local welder, make one for me on it. I've never broken a broad fork, by the way, because there's there's a technique to using it. I've I've loaned them out. Every one of my broad forks has been broken by somebody <laughs> that I'm out there, and I'd have them rewelded or. Have you ever seen something. the the uh, Beto creature broad fork? You can drive yeah. over it with the bus, and the bus will be damaged. Yeah. I mean, it's like. So anyway, that's that's that little, just the the, the fundamentals of tillage is that. It, it's not always iron, and the term, when it says plow often and plow deep, it doesn't necessarily mean continue that perpetually. If you get, if you get to a place where that's no longer necessary, then there's, you've created this, you've conditions, this, the heart's softened. It doesn't need to keep plowing it. It's, the condition has is, is changed, and so you, you might, like I said, there's different zones in the soil, and what you need to do, there may be times you need to take the whole thing out, and, and Start it over again because you didn't get something the way it needed to be. So, but you always have the option to plants and microbes and all that kind of stuff, do, all those things doing that work for you. The key is that it gets done. So, so just think, what is, what, what, when that statement is made, what is, the, what is the purpose? What's the objective of what's being done? And what are the methods that that can be accomplished? Because uh, metal is not always the best way to, best way to do that eventually. Okay, back to the soil test, or was the soil test. Um, you need to, like I said, you need to have, they need to be able to tell you an accurate CEC. And if they don't, if they don't measure all four of those cations, you're not going to have an accurate CEC. So if you're, if you're going to use a different lab, now, like Logan Labs is, is pretty close to what Perry does. They use the Malik 3, which is a, is a universal extractant, and it doesn't get as accurate in numbers, I don't believe. Based on all the you know all of the inquiry that I've uh, done, but they're probably the closest. And so I don't even know why I brought them up because they actually do run all four of them. They give you a, a fairly accurate CEC and they, they run the same nutritional elements. I got I got a soil test from Thailand for a mission school over there that was done by the university over there, and the two most leachable elements, boron and sulfur, were not even measured. And it was the same thing. There was the, the, there weren't any, which is the second thing you need to expect. You need to know what is the, the target percentages you're shooting for. And the, particularly the calcium and magnesium ratio, what is it going to be? In general, it's going to be, in, in what I believe is an accurate measure, it's not that the other measures from other labs are not accurate, it's just the, the, the way they do their analytical and interpretive um, methods the number may come up as a different number. Like, for example, if 68% was Albrecht's number on most mainstream CECs, it might be one of those other labs, it might be 72. I, I, and for, for a fact, I know that one lab is 64% when, it, when Albrecht is 68, another lab is 72, and one of them is actually 80%. And so this is where people have gotten themselves in trouble with the, with the Albrecht method they, they employ it with another lab. They try to make those numbers match Albrecht's numbers, and they're just way off. They're just way off, and then it doesn't work, and they say, oh, well, this doesn't work. It's a bunch of hooey. Yes, sir, do you have another question? Oh, you're just stretching? Okay. Um, so you need to know what that target number is. Anything, um, anything from 
to 19.34 is going to be 6812. 68% calcium and 12% magnesium. When you get over when you get over 19.34, you bump it to 69% calcium. You want a little more structure, you know, a little more flocculation, and you drop magnesium to 11. Now remember, I said that magnesium has a narrow range of availability, so you can't really go below 10. If you go below 10, you'll start having problems. Um, and anything once you start going down below 8.68, when you get down into there, into those numbers you start dropping calcium and raising magnesium. And the reason you're doing that is because you've got to maintain, you're trying to maintain a minimum of 250 pounds of magnesium in the soil that's available. And so you have to keep, you got to start adjusting those two to maintain that. When you get down to 5.21, then you have... This is CEC? Yeah. 5.21? Yeah. And this will, well, no, it's, I don't think it's in that book. Uh, whether you write this down or not, it, it, this would be for somebody who wanted to start actually working with it and everything. I'm, I'm just kind of for illustration purposes. If you don't get this all down, it's not a, not a big deal. Once you go below 5.21, then you're straight at 60-20. That's the best you can do. And at that point, you're just trying to keep it from dropping below 200. It just starts inching its way down until you get to 200 pounds of mag magnesium. And at that point, you have to go higher than 80% between the two of them. They always add up to 80%. They should always add up to 80%. When you get down below, uh, it's um, 4.22, I think it is, then you have to start going above 80%. And actually, and there's some cases when you get down to those lower soils, you're over 100% with calcium and magnesium to have enough there for adequate fertility for stuff to grow. It's a very fragile growing system, and, and it, it takes a lot. Of, it's a kind of the, the kind of person I say needs to stay really, really close <laughs> to Christ. They need, to, they need to know how dependent they are. And other people can be a little bit, a little more lax on it, but if they've got that higher capacity and everything, the hazard there is when you're imbalanced. A lot of talented people, highly capable people, but they're imbalanced. And I, I know, honestly, of uh, evangelists who beat their children at home and their wife. I know personally. And it doesn't matter who it is. I'm just making the point that you can be highly capable but your life is not balanced. And some bad things can be happening while well, some good things are happening. So, so, so you need to know that on it. Ideals for potassium are between, ideally you want between five and seven and a half percent. I said you don't want to go over seven and a half because of the uh, interference with boron. And then sodium optimal is one, you know, no more than three, three percent. Yes. The CEC, yeah. CEC. And again, that's affecting, the, that's just how big the, the bucket is, how much capacity you have. Okay, there was another thing I wanted to, wanted to point out. If you don't use, you, you, on the cations like that, when you go to the anions, it's how many pounds, and we talked about those yesterday. It's how many pounds you actually want to shoot for, and if, it varies a little bit depending on the CEC. Again, the capacity of that soil is to how much you want to have there. But with the cations, you must know what the CEC is accurately so that you know whether you have enough there. And so the next thing that they, you need to know is they need to be able to give you a desired value. 
they need to give you a, a, a target number. What number should you have based on that CEC and the saturation percentage that you want? They should be able to give you a target number and obviously give you the number that's found, the value that's found, what you actually have, and then you know the difference. And so then it's, it's about finding the right material to apply that. Now remember, on calcium and magnesium, I told you that there's a one-to-one -one relationship, so sometimes you have to apply something even though you, you looks like you have enough in order to not suppress it far enough that it's, it's not going to be adequate. So, but, so you have that. But that, that, then you know what the deficiency is, or you know what this, the, the excess is that you're going to have to contend with. If they can't give you that target number, then um, all the other information they give you, unless you're just going to accept whatever, whatever they tell you to do. The problem is that even though a lot of people do these soil analysis, have soil tests done, then the assumption is you're just going to put fertilizer on for the crop. So they're just really using the soil test to see whether you really need to apply anything or not, or if you can get, you've got enough in the ground, you can get away with growing the crop again and not give anything back. So a lot of times, they're not even really paying that close of attention to what the soil analysis actually tells them. They're just going to go ahead and recommend what the crop needs and tell them what you're growing and what the crop needs. They're just going to tell you that anyway. All it comes down to is, okay, did they have enough phosphorus there? Did they have enough potassium there? But I want to bring up another illustration. This is, I've seen this twice in the last month when, he, when uh, you came and brought me your, your test. On your, te your test, they said that magnesium was very high, right? It said magnesium was very high. The pounds on the test was 251. 251. They're not giving them a target number, but they just said it's very high. This is typical of a lot of soil tests. They'll tell you it's low, medium, high, very high. Uh, and then they'll make the recommendations on that. Now, if his CEC of 26.1 was correct, it says it's an estimated CEC, so I don't know, you know if it's exactly right or not. But if it was correct, I can take that CEC, I can multiply it by 240, which is the, the, uh, the equivalent atomic weight of, of magnesium, and then multiply it by the percentage that you would expect to have, which would be 12%. And if I do that, then he should have 750 plus. It was 756 pounds of magnesium there. He has 251, and they're saying it's very high. The reason they said it was he's deficient, actually. If those numbers are accurate, he's deficient in, in magnesium. I had this case with a, another grower in, in Kentucky just this past month where his, his initial report came back and said it was very high, but when you, what's happening here is they're only looking at the pounds. They're not looking at the percentages first to determine how many pounds you should have. They're not looking at how, how many charge sites or how big the bucket is that you've got to fill. They're just looking at and saying, okay, remember I said that 250 pounds is what you wanted to maintain as a minimum? So he's got 250. They're actually, the way they do their, their metrics and, and interpretation, they're saying that's very high. But in reality, he needs to have three times that amount of magnesium there. And if, if he were to not apply magnesium there, I would venture to say that he would have, pro he would have magnesium deficiency showing up on, it, on his plants. And if, if, was calcium recommended at all? Right, he was really high on calcium. In, in that situation, it wouldn't be an issue, but I've seen other situations where uh, the calcium is low, and you'll have a situation like that, and they'll say that's high, so don't put any on, but they'll tell you to put. Actually, this is, you know where Kibadula is in Tanzania? Anybody familiar with that? This was their situation over, out, over there. 
they, did, they, were, they told them to put high calcium lime on, but they didn't have enough magnesium there. If they put that high, I, I told Jason, I said, do not put that calcium lime until, until you're able to put the magnesium on with it, or you will drive the magnesium level down way below where it should be, and you'll have all kinds of problems. But they didn't take into consideration that one-to-one -one relationship. And so it's really important that you have the good information. Do you, are you getting the idea that you have to have accurate information in order to make good decisions about what, to, what you're going to do or not do? So these are just things you need to ask about. Is this, are these people going to give me this information? If they'll give you that information, I could tell you that probably following their recommendations would get you down the road the right way. I don't know that it would get you all the way down the road to where you want to be, but it'll start you down the right road. I would be pretty confident of that. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.